Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Thank you for listening on this beautiful Tuesday midday from 12 to 3 here on Sports Radio 92.7 FM. You can text in if you want to share your thoughts and comments on the text line 704-570-9610. Is Brandon Miller just the guy now? That's what we have to lead with after what Brandon did last night, scoring 33 points, back-to-back performances of over 30 points against the Pacers, now against the Lakers, going toe-to-toe with LeBron James. Eventually, the Lakers would end up winning. But that's okay. I told Jeff earlier today, Wes, I know the Hornets only have 10 victories on the season, Mm -hmm. like real wins on the year. But moral victories, we got at least like 16. We got like 16 moral victories, and I'm okay with that. We're going for the moral play-in season tournament. That's what we're rolling for. And I'm okay. I am the one that Terry Rozier is talking about with the losing mentality that has the, the the losing in my DNA. I'll take all the moral victories I can get after I lost a bet within the first month of the season, after I lost all of my favorite players, after now, yes, we have the bright spot of Brandon Miller, but we can't even watch him alongside LaMelo and Mark Williams. All I can all I can hope for are moral victories. And I feel like we got one last night. Let's just keep racking up the moral victories here. I mean, all right. So I'm going to hit you with a couple of things. Okay. First, I'm going to say, did we? Because the Lakers are struggling too. Now, I'm not going into this game thinking that we should have beaten them by any stretch of the imagination. All right. But, Walt, I understand why you choose to look at it that way. Because you do the Locked On podcast. You got to eat, eat, sleep, breathe, crap, hornets. Okay? Wow. So you got to find mm. some type of silver lining in these games to keep you interested. So I get a hundred percent why you're taking that stance, man. Thank you for erasing all of that with this next thing you're about to say. No, no, I'm not. I'm just not. No, I'm I'm, I'm not at all. I'm just saying I understand why you have to look at it that way. But no, I did like the effort. And if that's the type of effort you get on a nightly basis, I can live with the losing, especially with the injuries. That's what I'm saying. With the injuries to the gods, if you're going to be fighting and losing games by six to 10, okay, that's fine. You're under man. Now to your point about if Brandon Miller is the guy, you're damn right he is. And I'm saying that right now. I was a huge fan of LaMelo, and they drafted him. I wanted him. And I, and I still like Melo to an extent. <laughs> but when you watch Miller, the way he's playing, the way he's acclimated himself to the game. But you know me, man. We talked about what happened the other night when he told the dude to get his behind back on defense. The scowls, the anger, the frustration. That's what a star player for a team, a franchise player, needs to bring. I love the leadership and the attitude that he's bringing. It's like, can we get 10 more of these guys on the team and the Hornets will be okay? And that's the thing I like from him. And he's asserting himself as a young player that shows confidence, that shows leadership. I'm all in on Brandon Miller, man. Let's pull up to the scene. Mr. Bus Driver. The new PG. Let's pull up to the show, open up the doors. 
Let's get off the bus. Mm. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! Terrence, I didn't know you were on this bus, too. How's it going? <laughs> Thanks for helping us out on today's Wesson Walker. Hey, do you mind sharing if you think Brandon Miller is the guy? Go ahead. What do you think, Terrence? Hey, guys, there's a new sheriff in town. This is Brandon Miller's team from now on, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. His competitive drive, the willingness to take big shots at the end of the game. He's still learning how to be that guy at the end because the Lakers started coming at double teaming. But even so, I mean, getting out in transition, that monster dunk, this is the first time in about a month and a half, two months, where Everybody in the building was on their feet. Strong words from Terrence Oglesby. Well, and this, so just to go back at the end of this game, let's go back to one of the last possessions that the Hornets had because they called a timeout. And then after the timeout, they ran a play that involved Miles Bridges going ISO, not dribbling towards the basket whatsoever, and then just deciding, you know what? I'm going to hoist up this 35-footer on Anthony Davis, who it's like a thing how well he blocks three-point shots, and that's always been a thing ever since he came out of college. I'm just going to hoist this thing up and see what happens. Hero ball! It reminds me of Philip Seymour Hoffman in Along Came Polly on the streets, balling, saying, Baller! LeBron! Kobe! (laughs) Brandon Miller is out there being Steph Curry, and as Max Kellerman said, Miles Bridges is out here being Andre Iguodala! Missing that shot, getting blocked by AD, they would lose the game because they also couldn't come up with a stop. Brandon was sensational. Miles Bridges, not so much at the end. Now, let's not be all, you know, hated. Uh, hate, sorry. Let's not bring all the hatred for Miles Bridges because he did have 40 points in this game and he did help them quite a bit on that end of the floor. But watching what Brandon Miller did, it felt like that probably should have been his shot or at least we should have seen what we could do to get him open off of a couple of screens. But it did not seem like they ran the right play after the timeout and miles hoisted that thing up but i think what you'll see here is now the divide between brandon miller and Lamelo. i don't want to see the divide between it but it does feel like the Lamelo stands that are absolutely nutso in this world what is hilarious to see happen is the fact that they did not want scoot henderson so badly because they didn't want scoot to take the ball out of Lamelo's hands And they didn't want Scoot Henderson to be the guy in the backcourt and take that away from LaMelo. Now that Brandon Miller is becoming this guy, and now we're having the question, now we're having Hornets analyst and shows in Charlotte talk about, is he number one? It's like, wait, hold on, wait, no, no, we didn't want Scoot because of this. Now you're telling me Brandon Miller is the guy over LaMelo? No, man, that ain't cool. I wonder, can these two coexist to bring prosperity to the city of Charlotte, West? and it's just going to be the whole 1A, 1B, or is it straight up Brandon's number one, LaMelo's number two, and that's the blueprint I see for success in the future? I mean, I think that right now you can feel like that you have a big two. It's just the thing is, when is the rest of that? And, and, and I think, like I said, we, we saw in the offseason and, and last year when he was hurt, we heard about the leadership, how he encourages guys and things like that. I think Melo's a really positive guy, but I think just as far as that burning, nasty, maniacal desire to win, I don't see it. And that's the thing that's going to have to come with it, and that's the thing that I think could cause the problems between these two if there was to ever be one. I think that Miller probably sees what a lot of us see, and he could maybe at times point that out and be vocal about it to God. And that's not going to rub, especially this new generation of NBA players, that's not going to rub a lot of them the right way. And so that's where the issue could come in 
but I think he's going to be one of those guys that he plays. You know, he wears Kobe's. I'm sure he's a huge Kobe fan. He's of that Kobe Bryant cloth the way he's like, yo, are you going to help me win or not? And if not, we're going to have a major issue. And that's the type of guy you have to have on this team to win. That's the type of building blocks you need to build a new culture. And so that's the only issue I could foresee with those two because I think on the court together, I think they could be really good together. So there are two types of people right now. It feels like it. I feel like we can meet in the middle, but there are two types. Hype C says, LaMelo Ball needs to be traded. While 228 writes in, Splash Brothers 2.0. These guys can both coexist. And if we're talking about LaMelo Ball needing to be traded, that's when we've gone too far. If you wanted to explore it, I mean, I guess there's somewhat of a conversation to be had. But if you're talking about the Hornets not being able to hit on their draft picks, and now you're saying, yes, even if he's injured, to trade by far the biggest hit that they've had in the NBA draft because of what is, yes, a little bit of an injury history at the beginning of his career, but let's focus on the latter part of that point. It is the beginning of his career, and he already has an all-star game under his belt at the age of 22. I'm not trading that guy. I'm not. I'm not shopping him. And I'm hoping that, hey, now that we've done the hard thing, we've done the hard thing where you get two guys on a roster that at least are in an argument of who is going to be the lead dog and at least can play alongside each other in the backcourt. I feel like Brandon Miller playing two and three, LaMelo playing the one, they can both shoot very well. They can both pass really well where there's clearly a primary scoring led dude in Brandon Miller, primary facilitator in LaMelo Ball. These two guys can coexist. I'm not trying to trade LaMelo Ball whatsoever. And if your whole argument has been they don't have the lead dog to get this team in shape during games, they don't have anybody that's going to bark at everybody else, well, okay, now they do. If you think they didn't before Brandon Miller and Miller is that guy, well, then why can't we just let Miller be that guy with LaMelo on the roster? If the whole argument is that LaMelo isn't that dude himself, then he's not going to bark back at Brandon. So LaMelo has never had any problems with players. He's never had any chemistry issues with any of the guys on the court. So let's just roll with these two and then see how the new regime, whoever the new GM is going to be, whoever the new coach is going to be, let's see how this new regime can go at it with your two building blocks in LaMelo Ball and Brandon Miller. And then we'll hope Mark Williams can come back. But right now, the focus is in the backcourt, and it starts with your first or your third overall pick in Melo and your second overall pick in Brandon. Yeah, and I see Matt Hillbilly on the text line saying Charlotte does have a big two, a bunch of crap. No, but these are puppies. They're still young bucks, okay? So you can't expect these guys to be compete for championships, but as far as two good building blocks, I think we see now that that's there. Now, if they can get Melo on the court and keep him healthy, that's another story. But as far as just, you know, these two together, like I said, I like this tandem together. And I think for LaMelo, personally, as I said, I, I think if there is a clash between these two, it's going to be because maybe Melo feels like he Melo can be more. But I think that Melo is probably happy now that he doesn't have to do it. I would imagine he's looking at Miller and with that, if, if he continues to exude that kind of leadership on this team, Melo ain't going to have no issues with that because he's going to be like, I don't have to do it. Because we can see at this point, Melo's not a vocal leader. He's not a guy that's going to express some of the things that Brandon Miller is going to express on the court. And I think for him, he would look at it as that's a load off of his plate. Oh, Herman Photography hit me in the sweet spot. Go get James Najee. Yes. 
James Nazi, the second round pick I fell in love with last year. Go bring him in, and then you have a big three. Yeah! With Brandon Miller, LaMelo Ball, and James Nazi. Last one here before we move on to some Carolina Panthers conversation. Um, Bradley shooting blanks. Wait for the laugh from Fitty. He writes in, keep LaMelo, keep Brandon, keep Mark Williams, get rid of everyone else. Yep. So that leads to a conversation. How does Brandon Miller's ascension change the way the Hornets operate at the trade deadline? Because I do think there is somewhat of a relationship there. If Brandon was just doing the solid second overall pick thing that we expected, maybe playing more like he was before this last month of basketball, last even three weeks. Remember, he wasn't even on the NBA rookie ladder in the top 10 because he was struggling for a while, and now he is certainly not. So if we didn't have this ascension and he was playing more like he was, we're still struggling at the rim, not hitting as many three-point shots, then do they operate differently at the deadline? I think they do. I think that they would be a little more hesitant to trade a Miles Bridges for one of these lackluster packages that are being being reported possibly coming back in return. For instance, maybe a Suns package because the Phoenix Suns have been the most rumored team as far as their interest goes in Miles Bridges. Josh Akogi, Nas Little, a couple second round picks. It's pretty lackluster given the talent that Miles Bridges is. But we can't evaluate this in, a, in just a talent perspective. We got to evaluate this as a Miles Bridges is on $8 million a year contract right now. He gets to decide where he wants to go. He's going to hit unrestricted free agency in the offseason, so he could possibly leave and you get nothing. And so now the Hornets, the leverage they would have against Phoenix would be, okay, if you don't give us a protected first-round pick, then good luck bidding for him at 20 mil per in the offseason against these other teams that are also looking for talent. Good luck. Or you could just go ahead and get something in return before he leaves for nothing. This is the question that the Hornets have, and I wonder if Brandon playing so well allows you to just trade Miles Bridges, not worried about having the inside track at signing him again, and then just taking something before he leaves and you don't have anything coming back in return. I think what this does, and a lot of this is dependent on the health of LaMelo and things of that nature, but if you can get a healthy Melo back, you got Brandon Miller now. I think you have your two established lead guys when you talk about scoring and playmaking. Then you got Mark Williams that's going to be your defensive guy, your trash guy. Now, if you want to go and get a third scorer that's going to be not necessarily a high-level scorer, but a guy you can depend on for maybe 18 to 21, somewhere in that range, then maybe you can still do that. And that's easier to find in free agency, I feel like. But now you can go with Brandon Miller establishing himself. You got LaMelo Ball, your two franchise players. Now you can start to build around him because Brandon Miller looks like a potential two-way player. Now you can go get more building blocks that's going to fit around those guys to make the chemistry better. You can go find those 3 and D guys. You can go find those defense guys that are going to help this team improve defensively, help them get tougher on the boards, uh, and all of those things now because you have two established scores that can score at a high level. That's the thing you're looking like right now. You got Melo and Brandon who look like they can score 30 points on a given night or they can score 30 points on a given night either together or each one. Mark Williams, you know when he's healthy, he can get you probably 12 to 15. So if you want to go get that third guy that could be the potential third option on the offense, you can go do that. 
But for the most part now, Miller emerging allows you the flexibility to start building the roster around yep. your franchise player. It certainly does. The, the By far the biggest bright spot on the Charlotte Hornets team. Let's transition and talk about the Carolina Panthers on the other side of the break. The position preview, it's here, folks. And we got the quarterbacks coming up next. What went so wrong last year? We discussed that on Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Join Walker and Fiddy for the Michelob Ultra Charlotte Hornets watch party at Graham Street Pub and Patio in Uptown Charlotte this Friday. Just a few days from now. That'll be February 9th at 7 p.m. You can hang out with Michelob Ultra and Walker and Fiddy. Watch the Hornets face the Milwaukee Bucks. Walker and Fiddy will have giveaways, plus your chance to win tickets to a future Hornets home game. Many chances to win tickets to a future Hornets home game. And Michelob Ultra will be hanging out with them as well. So that'll be a lot of fun. Come out and visit us at Graham Street Pub on February 9th this let Friday cook. at 7 p.m. Yes, we will let Fiddy cook. 704-570-9610. We can go back to the text line just real quickly with some of the opinions that people have, not only on Brandon Miller, but uh, of the Charlotte Hornets as a whole. Uh, 336 saying already, Brandon Miller, better than LaMelo Ball. Sid32 says, once game slows down, Nick Smith Jr. will be nice. We actually might have Nick Smith Jr. on the show, maybe tomorrow or maybe later this week. So Nick Smith Jr. not shooting as well as he was originally, but still fun pick further down in the first yeah, round. He looks like he's going to be a good you know, rotational player, instant offense off the bench for the Hornets too. Like a guy I'm not shopping. You can't call him untradeable, but... I'm not shopping him. I'd yeah. like to see how he develops in this system. And hell, if the idea is just to get as many talented young players on this team as possible, while also helping the two young stars that you have in Melo and Brandon, then yeah, Nick Smith Jr. does have a spot on this squad. 704 says, maybe he doesn't leave for nothing. Maybe Miles Bridges just comes back on a $25 million per year contract. That would be a good contract. He wants to be here. Yeah, man. Nah. $25 million a year. Like, I look... I will admit, for sure, talent-wise for Miles Bridges, he's definitely worth more than $8 million a season than what he's playing on right now via the qualifying offer. Now, also remember, Miles Bridges wouldn't be playing on the $8 million qualifying offer if another team wanted to give him $20 million this past season. I'm sure he's going to get it this upcoming offseason because he is a better basketball player. People are going to be looking to take advantage of the fact that he hasn't played in a while and then hope that he can get back to what he was two years ago out there on the court. But even for the Charlotte Hornets, 
Brandon Miller changes the calculus on some things, no doubt about it. But do you think Brandon Miller, LaMelo Ball, and Miles Bridges as your three, after he's been here for a while and then wasn't here for 92 games, is that getting you a playoff series win? Is that giving you a top six spot? You have to rely on internal improvement, maybe. But I'm of the opinion... I would just like to move on from as many pieces as possible. Like, you know me, you know, I'm I'm getting clowned all the time for how much I love PJ Washington and just respect PJ. But if the right trade is there, you gotta trade PJ too. Nobody is untouchable except for Brandon Miller, LaMelo Ball, and then Mark Williams is probably somewhat in that conversation, depending on his health. But those are the only three that you're holding on and you know, bear hugging to make sure that no other team comes in and prize them away. Yeah, I agree with you uh, 100%. I think now, like I said, the emergence of Brandon Miller allows you to specialize in what you go after. You can start getting yep. more pointed in what you want. You can say, hey, you know, I want a 3 and D guy, and I want this guy that's mostly defense, and then I want this guy and that guy that can do this and that and the third. And so I think that's the luxury you get when you start drafting right. And I think this is a, a definitely a silver lining in the season for the Hornets because I know I thought Brandon Miller would be solid this year. I thought he'd be solid. But he looks like a superstar in the making. Like, he's not there yet, and he's not even at necessarily star status yet. But he looks like he's on that street. He's driving down that road, and the miles are starting to come down as far as how close he needs to go to get there. Well, we can talk Hornets a little bit later on, too. We have him in deal or no deal because of all the trade rumors. And so I've got a few mock trades for Wes and Fitty, and they can put their Mitch Kupchak hats on. Maybe we even get a impression from both of them from Wes and Fitty in deal or I'm no down. deal. You know, I'm always down. I know. Impression. I know. All right. So maybe we get that at 145. But yeah, like all the Scoot Henderson conversation, clearly I was very loud about how badly I wanted Scoot Henderson here at number two overall. I don't know if I'm wrong on Scoot or not, but I do know I'm wrong on Brandon. Like, I don't know what Scoot's going to do. Like, Makes I think a big man admit when he's wrong. Man. Oh, well, dude, Mina, you know, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, we do it thank all you. the time. I'm just being dramatic. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, I was wrong on Brandon as far as how good he was going to be, because I thought maybe even Brandon might have a better efficiency year. That would make sense. I thought Scoot was going to put up bad efficiency numbers. Makes too much sense for a guard that struggles shooting. I just thought and he's had some bad shooting nights. It's been rough. I didn't think I would see Brandon get to his spots as well as he does and be able to handle NBA defenses. Now, his spots are still outside 15 feet, but if you're just going to hit everything at this ridiculous of a clip, cool. I mean, he's finding a way cool. to get 30. Cool. It's crazy. Yeah. Like getting to his mid-range spots at the foul line, dribbling, navigating the pick and roll so well. I, yeah, once he gets stronger, and he's going to go through a shooting dip at some point. Law of averages dictates that that's going to be true. But what Brandon has shown already, yeah, man. I, I don't know if I'm wrong on Scoot. I love him. I still think he's going to be a very good basketball player. I'll, I'll, I'm not selling my stock. But I was wrong on Brandon. Brandon looks like he's got another level he can hit that I did not expect. Now we just need to see if we were wrong on Bryce Young, Wes. Yep. Because you both, you and me both, we loved. We were on that train, we baby. Did. We still on the train. God, we holding please. on like Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. We hanging on. Please don't let me miss on Brandon and Bryce. <laughs> don't let me do that, man, because I was a believer in Bryce being that number one overall pick. And it wasn't good for him last year. I think the the jury is way more out on Bryce Young because there are just so many things that didn't go well. So in this position preview, maybe we break it up in past, present, and future. What happened last year, it's a little bit harder to do with a rookie, but we can also look at his rookie season, what he's dealing with now, and then what he can look like a year from now, five years from now, and do that outlook. 
So if we were going to go to the past and ask what went so wrong, what are some of the biggest things, uh, in your opinion, that went so wrong last year that didn't allow Bryce Young to have any success his first season? The season. It's a good question. No, no, it's <laughs> so, good analysis. I was ready uh, yeah, to move on. Uh, well, I mean, when you just look at his personal play outside of everything that was going on, but, I mean, it's just so much – that would affect him on the play, not having receivers that can win matchups immediately, having offensive linemen that your time to throw is is definitely drained significantly. But for him, too, you know, he had his own personal flaws. When you talk about footwork and technique and mechanics, I think he learned some of the things that he could get away with at Alabama he just can't get away with here in the pros. And I think that's the classic rookie lesson that a lot of them learn when they get there. Unless you're just super-duper special, you come in like a Patrick Mahomes or one of those type of guys where you, you can come in and you're able to execute a lot of the things you did in a lot of the ways in which you did it. But I think he kind of learned, hey, you know, it, it, it's a bit different up here. The hitting is a little bit different up here. The windows that I'm throwing to – is a little bit different up here. And so when you add a rookie that's trying to learn on the job along with everybody else on the job failing him, then I think you get the results uh, that you got. And so I think, you know, that's what went wrong with Bryce, the mixture of this, him being a rookie and learning this game and everything else falling around him contributed to uh, the lackluster rookie season that he had. So you can start with the coaching staff and just too many people being in his ear, not following the head coach's philosophy. I mean, it, it all starts with Frank Reich as the head coach. If you're the head guy, you get to decide how you play football that year with the help of everyone else, but you are supposed to be able to hire your own staff and you are supposed to be able to hire the staff that also carries out your ideas in place. That didn't happen. And so now that you have Thomas Brown, maybe wanting to rock a different way, Frank Reich is the head guy. I don't know about Jim Caldwell. I don't know about Josh McCown. I just know you had a decent amount of people that haven't worked together. And I liked the quote-unquote diversity of thought until it went horribly wrong. So that's one thing. Now we have alignment, and Dan Morgan and Dave Canales were sure as hell to tell you that we have alignment in their introductory press conference, which I'm here for. They had to get that message out, and I'm glad they did. So you have alignment. That's only going to help Bryce. But that certainly wasn't there last year. That's what went wrong. The offensive line was terrible. They regressed in a way nobody saw coming, even if you were worried about them in the preseason. This ended up being the worst pass protection unit in all of football last year. So if you have the worst offensive line, when we thought that was imperative for him to be good next season or his rookie season, then that's quite the 180-degree swing. He was under pressure on 41% of his dropbacks. That ranked fourth among quarterbacks with at least 300 dropbacks per PFF. And Young, what was his fault, what wasn't? The offensive line was terrible, but Bryce also was responsible for about 15 of those pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. And that's going to the, he holds on to the football too long, he's not getting rid of the football as quickly as he should. And so some of that is going to be fixed, in my opinion, with Dave Canales, because that happened with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield got the football out of his hands a lot more quickly than he ever did before. And I think that's a big, attractive attribute that Canales brings to this quarterback in Bryce Young. So I think those were the problems. And then the last thing here, Wes, Adam Thielen was the only guy that you could trust. And there wasn't anybody downfield that you could trust. Yes. If you're throwing to Thielen, it's going to be within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Adam Thielen had one of the worst yards per reception in all the NFL last year. That's his role. That's what he was signed to do. So that's the only guy that's open, creating separation. And so if you averaged less than a first down per catch, which is what Adam Thielen did last year, 
Then you got more work to do. And you can't throw it to DJ Chark. You can't throw it to Jonathan Mingo. You can't throw it to a tight end except in the red zone when you have touchdown Tommy, but that's about it. So the receivers, the offensive line, the coaching, I guess that's all three. Did I cover it all? By covering everything that goes into an offense, offensive line, wide receivers, and coaching, there's a lot to fix. There's a lot. But that's all what went wrong, and I'm hoping it does get fixed this offseason. Yeah, you got the quarterback. uh, You got the coach, actually, that looks like to be a guy that can take quarterbacks to the next level. Russell Wilson loved him. Geno Smith, he took Geno Smith to a career renaissance and did the same thing last year with Baker Mayfield. And I think that that's the thing that people on the surface right now are looking at and just like, yeah, right, because everything looks so bad. The optics of last year look so bad that a lot of fans feel like there's no way that it can improve, but it can. And a lot is going to depend on free agency and this draft, no question about it. But I think that this thing, and as I said, there's no bias here. There is a big chance that this could look a lot different next year in a good way because he's got a coach that's proven that he can take quarterbacks to the next level. And when you factor in Bryce's characteristics, the process and all those things that were still pluses for him coming out of the draft, that hasn't gone anywhere. He just went up to a higher level of competition that kind of showed him you got a little bit of a ways to go. But he got tons of games of experience. He's gotten tons of reps at this point. And now he's got a guy that can come in and fine-tune everything. It's like... The picture on your TV back in the day, way back in the day, when it'd be blurry and you had to do stuff to fix. You had to mess with the antenna and do all that stuff. That's what he's got now in Canales. The picture was blurry, but now he's got Canales to come in, take that antenna a little bit, move one side to the left, one to the right, flip it around a little bit, and then you can start to see what you're trying to look at here. And I think... I feel like there's a high probability that that's going to happen. And I'm not not just trying to just be Mr. Positive or whatever the case may be. No, it's okay, I too. truly do. I think that this is the type of guy that can come in, give Bryce stability. I truly feel in my heart they're going to get a number one receiver this offseason. I really do. Like, I, I've always had feelings with the Panthers watching them from afar. Anytime they got linked to a player a lot, it kind of always happened. And I feel like at this point, I think Mike Evans or T. Higgins is going to be a Panther next year. I just feel like that's what's going to happen. And so if he can get one of those guys, because you talked about Thielen, and, you know, the yards per catch aren't necessarily what you want, but then you start to project that to next year if you can find that number one. And then find you, let's say Mingo just gets 20% better, 15% better. Now Thielen's role is nice in the offense because now he plays a role instead of being the go-to guy. And that role that he plays can be very beneficial in an offense when you have a true number one. So if we focus on the present, did the Panthers do right by Bryce Young with the coaching staff? You and I both believe that they did. We both believe that that's true. The present isn't done yet because if you view that as just this entire offseason, we'll see if you go get the number one wideout. We'll see what you do in free agency. But Bryce Young was under pressure so much. I just went through some of the numbers there. He had a 39% completion percentage when pressured, and that ranked last among all qualifying quarterbacks. That translated to just 675 passing yards, one touchdown, and four interceptions. Bryce has to get better under pressure, no doubt. Like, there's there's different types of pressure. There is pressure where you can still get the ball out of your hands and stay upright before they knock you down. And there are the things where that actually, they just lead to sacks. They get a hand on the football. They bat a pass down. And that's something that's going to be hard for Bryce to evade. But some of this is on him. And so also, you go back to just, is he hitting his targets? 
it looked like at the beginning, if somebody was open, Bryce Young was going to hit him. You had two Panthers in DJ Chark and Jonathan Mingo last year who ranked in the top 25 for drop rate. So even if he delivered, Mingo and Chark, they were going to bring that thing in. But then if you start to look at Bryce, you start to see what he was, uh, you know, whether he was throwing these guys on target and he was actually second and third. Uh, th- those, excuse me, you're looking at what those guys did with not very many targets in the first place. And if you did throw it to him, then they weren't going to hold on to the football. And that was really tough. And also one last thing, according to pro football reference, he threw a poor pass on 21 and a half percent of his attempts. And that means at least once per drive, he was missing a target. And so I wonder like what the splits are on that are like first half compared to second, because it felt like he was getting worse, right? Mm-hmm. After the Houston game, it felt like Indianapolis and then Chicago, he was going worse. But in the first half, it felt like if somebody was open, he was hitting him, Wes. It, it, he's he's going to have to deal with some of the, the bad stuff, too. Like, just because the offensive line is better doesn't mean you're never going to undergo pressure anymore. And so hopefully he gets better under pressure, but also hopefully we see a lot less of it this season. Yeah, and I like what, you know, Jersey Mike said, too. And don't forget the offense had no running game. Well, Chuba was serviceable down the stretch, and I think he looks like a piece. Uh, but I also saw, you know, an item that's linking the Panthers with Austin Eckler. Uh, as well. And so that'll be interesting to see if they do decide to go after another back because I do think they need one. They definitely need a one-two punch, but that's going to help him a lot too. And that should be on the to-do list too. You might not have to go out and find a game-breaking running back, but if you can – or that's why I said too, I think Canales could perhaps – provide a little bit of a renaissance for Miles Sanders. I know that a lot of people think that that's over and done, but maybe Canales in that offense, we saw what Rashad White was able to do over the second half of the season, becoming that dual threat back out of that offense. And I'm not saying that Sanders will take the starting role or become a stud, but again, I point to the production he's once had in this league. And I think if anybody can get it out of him, perhaps Canales can do that, especially if you make adjustments on the offensive line. Gashouse Earl wrote in on the text line, Wes, you know good and damn well you did not grow up with no TV antennas. LOL. Yeah, I told him I was an 80s baby, man. What you talking about? I did too. I grew yeah. up with that. In fact, one comment I was going to say was there was not, there weren't too many more frustrating things in life than when you would move the antenna a millimeter and that would mess the picture up entirely. And if it moved just a little bit, then you would have the white noise in the background. But if you got it, and then like, even if you were just dealing with like 20% fuzz, cool, I'll rock with it. And then you took one step too heavy on that ground that shook up the antennas, and then you had the white noise coming back, I would get seething mad at like seven, eight years old trying to watch my PBS. Yeah, it was funny. My grandma in, um, in Georgia, she used to have the antenna on top of her house. So sometimes if you had to adjust <laughs> it, you had to go up on the roof. Like, I didn't have to go up on the roof, but she would send other people up on the roof to adjust it. And so everybody in the house would be watching TV, and when they got the picture where it needed to be, you just hear all this yelling. They'd be like, yeah, 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 that's that's it, got it. <laughs> Wait, was there, like, weather protection for it? It was like, it was wild, man, now that I think about it. But she, like I said, it was an intent on top of her house. And when you had to fix it, sometimes you'd have to go up on the roof. I never had to do that. But she would send her husband up there or my uncle or somebody like that. They would have to go and do it. And then all you hear is yelling out the house when they got the picture mm-hmm. where it needed to be. Yeah, that was a so lot. Hopefully that'll be Panthers fans yelling when mm-hmm. Bryce Young is that's throwing it, touchdowns that's right. hey, that Dave, you got it right. No, Dave, it's good. Don't move it. Stay right there. <laughs> Stay right there. Don't move. Yeah. 
Now has a ginger uh, ginger wife has a great text yeah, too. Throwback. Throwback. Yeah, real throwback. Uh, oh, it, yeah, has a ginger wife writing in. Yeah, we had the big TV that looked like a cabinet that sat on the ground. Had to change the channels and the volume from the TV. We've been there. Herman Photography says back when the video game channel was three. Mm. Yeah, that hit different. I haven't thought about that in a while. <laughs> The antenna, I'm telling watching Sabumafu, yeah. I had like 16 channels to choose from. At night, it was The Simpsons. Probably a little too old for me, but not. Simpsons ain't bad. And then in the morning, it was PBS, Sabumafu. Yeah. I would sit there right front and center. I struck a nerve with that antenna, man. You did. You did. You can tell us your <laughs> you antenna You can still experience. buy those, too. Well, I'm hoping you can to watch Hornets games yeah. so we don't have to deal with Bally's anymore. Yeah. That might be a thing. I would love to see it happen. Let's move on. Hunter Bailey joins us on the other side of the break to talk about the Charlotte 49ers basketball success. Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And Walker back at it on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Let's go back to some round ball discussion. We just talked with Mike Hill yesterday, the athletic director of the Charlotte 49ers. And now we get to talk about the Charlotte 49ers once more with Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Observer and the Charlotte Post. You can find him on Twitter at Hunter underscore Bailey 45. He joins us now on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Hunter, thank you so much for the time, man. How are you doing? HB. What's up, guys? How are y'all? What's up, man? We're doing well, Hunter. I just want to know real quickly, because when we talked with Mike yesterday, he said there may have been some people out there in Fernville playing some beer pong. I just want to know, were you one of those people playing beer pong out there at Fernville on Saturday? I'll just tell you they're lucky I wasn't, Walker, because it would have been over for them boys. <laughs> People always would choose me first or, like, among the top choices. And, like, I'm okay at beer pong, but because I'm so tall, people would think, oh, okay, basketball player, he's real tall, he's real good. I'm, like, average. I'm I'm here to disappoint a lot of people. I hit one, you stink. I hit mm-hmm. one behind the back shot on a solo cup one time in my life. That's mm-hmm. my Hall of Fame moment. And everything else, I'm just pretty mid. I'm sure a lot of people would describe me as mid in a I lot of played, areas. Uh, I played that maybe mid two or three host. times in mm-hmm. my life. Yeah, that was and good. I was pretty decent. All right, so Wes is good. Fitty just had a good zinger in there calling me the mid, midday host. Decent. Yeah, uh, thank you. Right. I was. Anyways, we'll go back <laughs> to Hunter on the Body Works Plus guest hotline <laughs> trying to break that all down. Hunter, speaking of Fernville, what was that environment like for you and how awesome was it to be at Halton with it rocking again? So truly, guys, I was the groomsman on the wedding, so I wasn't able to Oh, I thought there. you were there. Oh, I thought you were there. I did you up. dirty. I set you up. I'm sorry. Of course, it lines up same day, wedding at the same time, so missed it. Missed the first sellout at Halton in over 10 years, man. I'm sick about it, but I'll be there February 15th for the next home game, UTSA in town. 
Well, just seeing the success that they've had so far, what are you most surprised to see? Because certainly nobody saw this coming. Eight and one atop the conference standings have a big old battle tonight against South Florida. But after some of the guys did transfer, after Ron Sanchez leaves real late in the process, nobody saw this. What, what are you most surprised to see, whether it be a player's performance or just the way these guys are able to gel together? Yeah, it's a couple of things, man. I think when you're looking at this roster before the season, Ron leaves, Deshaun Jackson decommits, recommits, Bryce Williams leaves, Ali Khalifa. You're kind of looking at the roster like, okay, who is going to be the guy? And I'm sure there's two or three guys on this team that thought, all right, it's my time to be the face of Charlotte Hoops. But when you look at this team, man, it's they got four guys in double figures tonight. There's four or five guys that can hit that shot late in the game, and they've seen it repeatedly. Uh, that and then their ability to dictate the pace of the game. We've always known – they play the slow pace on offense, the pack line on defense. But what they're doing to the top offenses in the league is like next level, man. I'm going to read some stats real fast. Against Tulane, scoring 85 a game, they hold them to 71. FAU, a Final Four team from a year ago, scoring 84 a game, they hold them to 68. And then ECU last Saturday, averaging almost 69 a game, they hold them to 52. Charlotte's got the ability to slow the game down, dictate the pace of the game and really just impose their will on other teams, especially in the second half, man. It's been impressive to watch. So Hunter, you talk about this team and they hit a point where they had lost four out of five. Obviously we expect them to lose to the Duke blue devils, but then they come off after win at Greensboro college, they lose the stats in the SMU. And at that point, I'm sure that all of the goodwill or what this team could do was down. So at what point during that winning streak, did you know, all right, this team has turned it on, and they look like they could be a real problem. Man, they, they made a switch, right? So they actually played Stetson early in the season at home and beat them by 20-plus, go on the road and lose there, then lose their first game in AAC play to SMU. But beating FAU, man, just talking to different players, Igor Militich, Deshaun Jackson, Makai Patterson, that's when they knew that they could play with anyone if they played their game. And there was also a lineup switch in the process moving senior guard Jackson Threadgill to the bench in favor of Zay Folks. And Folks just brings this like tenacity on defense. He's got the ability to have a sports center top ten slam any given night. And he really helps the rim defenders, Igor and Deshaun Jackson, with his on ball defense. They don't have to help off their man as much. And then bring in Threadgill off the bench. You've got a guy that's a film junkie. While his shot hasn't been falling how he's wanted this year, he's kind of that extension of Fern on the court and he's running with the second unit to be able to give them some stability and get their guys a breather if they need it. So you look at Igor Milicic and the way that he's been playing. And over the last couple of games, he's had a double-double. This is a quintessential stretch four. He's shooting the three ball really, really well. For those out there who don't know much about this guy, describe Igor Milicic's game and just how much he means to this Niner squad. Definitely, man. I've been calling him the European Euro European unicorn for the past couple of weeks. I uh, talked to him a lot about his game. He's kind of approaching this 50, 40, 90 feet, and at home, he's been shooting the lights out. At home in Houghton Arena this year, 55% from the field, 42% from three, 93% from the line. His numbers are relatively close to that overall for the season, but his game where I've really seen it take the next step is just his IQ with the ball in his hands. He's nearly doubled his points and rebounds and he's shooting career highs across the board. And he added five blocks against ECU Saturday. So he's doing on both ends of the floor and he's got a chance to play his way into the NBA. If he keeps this up. Hunter, what do you think is the best attribute of this basketball team as we stand here today? 
I think that they're playing for each other, Wes. And it's like, when I think of Charlotte Hoops, I think that they've had the talent there for years. I think the road struggles have been huge. But this group is having fun. They're playing for each other. And I think that's the difference, right? They're, like I said earlier in the show, there's there's not necessarily one guy where you're like, you know he's going to take the last shot. There's four to five guys that can take that shot, and you feel good about it. And that's what's so different about Charlotte Hoops this year than than years past, for sure. Hunter Bailey joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Hunter, one of the last things for me, we all know that Aaron Fern still carries that interim tab. After going 8-1, and one, here they are atop the AAC. Is there any way that Aaron Fern isn't back as the head coach next season? No chance, man. That extension is going to be done very soon, talking to people around the around the program. Right now he's on a one-year deal, making about 500000 a year, and that's a little less than half than some of the top coaches in the conference, Dusty May, Hardaway in Memphis, quite a few different guys. Uh, that deal is going to get done, and they're, they're going to make sure he's a 49er for, for years to come. Last thing for me, what makes Aaron Fern so good? I know you've talked about how these guys are playing for one another, whether it's X's and O's based, whether it's that the players on this roster want to play for Aaron Fern as well. What makes Aaron Fern so good and allows him to have this much success? Definitely. So starting as an assistant with a lot of these guys under Ron, I feel like he was kind of the assistant that, that the players could lean on. They could coach him hard and they already had that connection. And when Ron left in June of last year, there was a chance. I mean, if, if Mike Hill did not give Aaron Fern this chance, I would say 50 to 75% of this roster was going to leave. And it was going to be Charlotte's first year in the American with a new head coach trying to fill this roster right before, right before workout start. It, there was, I mean, it could have been really bad. And you look at what Fern was able to do. He's had years coaching in the NBL. He's coached multiple NBA players. He has respect around college basketball. And Michael talked about it. He had a conversation with Dusty May, and it wasn't necessarily to get Dusty's opinion on who to hire, but hearing what Dusty had to say about Aaron Fern and what he could bring to a program. And he's already in the building. It's a no-brainer. Make that decision. The players clearly love him. The fans are buying in. And he said it the other day, you never arrive. And I think that's the mentality Charlotte's got to bring to Tampa tonight because this is a huge game. That's Hunter Bailey joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, Beer Pong Prodigy. Also, you can find his work on the Charlotte Observer and the Charlotte Post. Also writes about the Charlotte Hornets. He's a renaissance man. Find him on Twitter at Hunter underscore Bailey 45. We appreciate the time, Hunter. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Hunter. It's good stuff from him and Mike Hill about the success story that is the Charlotte 49ers men's basketball team. We'll take a quick break. We'll continue to talk college hoops on the campus corner, the other Carolina not the North Carolina in North Carolina. Right? That. The <laughs> other one is balling out of control. And also Virginia picks up a big old ACC win last night. We'll discuss it. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.